0: want to take a moment right now to, uh, to pray for Rob. Rob's uh, up in Hollister preaching this morning at a good friend of his church, and so I'd like to do that right now. Father, we lift up Rob to you. We pray as you uh, use him this morning to proclaim your good news to... Uh, This church in Hollister, we pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would guide him, that you would use him, and that uh, the people would be receptive to the message that you speak through Rob. We thank you for his ministry, pray that you would uh, continue to guide him and direct him, and we lift him to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a very, very, very sedentary society. Uh, Statistics are out that the average, average person is seated or sedentary for 12 hours of each and every day. If you add into that the eight hours that we're supposed to sleep, that's 20 hours where we're, we're not doing much at all. And it has led to an issue uh, that, that doctors and the scientific community has now coined a phrase or coined a term, and it's called this. It's called, we are now suffering from <laughs> sitting disease found that rather odd as I was reading about that the other day. I'm thinking sitting disease. I never thought that sitting could be a disease, but apparently they've coined it that way, and it's because of the effects of that, that happen on our sedentary lifestyle. Our sedentary lifestyle leads to uh, greater cardiovascular disease, among other things. It also, uh, it also is the fourth leading risk factor for global mortality is physical inactivity. And so as we now have become a sedentary people, one of the things that I find interesting, especially as we go into this passage that we're going to look at today, is that God desires us to be moving. How do we know? We have bodies. Our bodies are designed to move. Our bodies are designed to keep moving. Now by doing physical activity or and and frankly, here's the thing. They say for every hour that you are seated, you need to get up and walk or do something for about five minutes. It helps things go it helps it helps keep you clear, it helps it helps keep your body moving forward. And also this moving does a number of things. First off, it increases circulation. God bless you twice. By the way, protocol on sneezing. Okay, first off, it's fine, but do you say God bless you after, the, after they're all done seizing, or do you just say God bless you after the first one, and that covers everything? You do, every you do it every single time? Well, God bless you again then. So there you go. So I just sort of go with the protocol of, the, I let them sneeze, and then I say God bless you to cover everything. So anyway, so back to what we're talking about. My, uh, my difficulty in it maintaining attention is very obvious right now. But it also, it increases circulation being on the move, it increases bone health, it includes blood, it it improves blood flow to the brain, it burns calories, and it reduces the risk of osteoporosis. And it also provides pain relief. And there's all these other reasons why we need to keep moving. And so, over the course of the last number of months, probably about six or seven months, one of the things that I've incorporated into my life is for every hour that I'm seated at my desk, I get up and go walking for about five to ten minutes. And I'll tell you this, it is amazing how I'm able to be a little bit more alert and, and not only does it keep me more alert, but it also it feels good to get outside. Adam just pointed out how beautiful it is here, and it's great to be outside. It's great to breathe the fresh air and, and, and enjoy that. But I bring this up to you because we're now shifting gears as we have been walking through Galatians, and we come to this place now where Paul is pretty much putting to bed his argument on why Jesus Christ is all you need wise, trusting in him for salvation is all you need, and now he's going to get more and more practical. It's one of the things I love about Paul. He's always, he always keeps moving, and he wants the people to realize where they're heading. If they were to go down this path of listening to the false teachers, they are going to head into certain destruction, and certain they'll, they'll be stifled, is what it boils down to. And so what happens here, as we pick it up in Luke, in in Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 13, what happens here is that we see Paul saying, we got to keep moving. We got to keep moving. It's part of what it means to live for Jesus Christ. So the question that that Paul's answering is this, is where are you heading? So I invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 5 in your Bible, or if you, if you have your Bible app, scroll to there. Or if you want to use one of the Bibles in the pew, it's on page 975. So, so here we go, starting at verse 13 of Galatians chapter 5. We read these words. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against such things, against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Father, we pray now as we come to this time of looking at your word. We would ask that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes so that we can see what it means about heading in a direction that is pleasing to you, that you would open our ears in such a way that we can hear clearly what you're saying to us through this passage, that you would open our minds so that we can understand more fully what it means to be in step with you and walk by the Spirit, and that you would then open our hearts, that we would be transformed by the work you desire to do in our lives and through our lives. And Lord Jesus, may you be the one who is glorified. May you be the one who is lifted up and may you receive all glory. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you were to turn to page 1 of your Bible, if you were to turn to page 1, you would see Genesis chapter 1, you would read about, God's, uh, about God creating all of, all of creation. And one of the things that I want you to notice if you were to go there is that we're told that humanity walked with God. Freedom is something that, God, that was God's idea from the very beginning. We're free to serve him. We're free to do these things. But freedom is God's idea. And it's interesting, as we've made our way through Galatians, Paul now is emphasizing freedom again and again and again, the reason being is because the false teachers want to place them in bondage. And so Paul brings up this whole issue of freedom numerous times, and as you read this, look what he says in verse 15. He says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom... To indulge the flesh. That's our our temptation. Hey, I'm free. I can do whatever I want to do for me. And Paul knows that people can go that route, and oftentimes we see that happen so often. But Paul catches them and says this don't do it that way. Rather serve one another humbly in love. We are free to love others. No agenda. We're simply free to love others. I want to invite you to do an experiment this week if you, if you so choose. I want you to pick a friend and what I want you to do is I simply want you to do something loving for them just because. No reason, whether it be sending them an encouraging text, see, just just saying hi, whatever the case may be, do something loving towards them. Okay? And then I want you to watch the reaction. Here's why. We live in a world that thinks that everybody has an agenda and when we do things where we care for another person where we do it with no agenda whatsoever not looking to receive anything I'll tell you what's going to happen it freaks people out they don't know how to respond right It happens all the time. And what Paul's saying is we're now free to simply love one another. We're simply free to be the people that God's called us to be. And that means we get to love others. There is no agenda. The only agenda is I love you. That's it. It's a great thing. For some of your husbands, just go up to your wife, tell her you love her. And then freak them out and say, I remember the day we got married. And then give them the date. That will blow their mind. But you see what I'm saying? Look for those opportunities and watch what happens. Watch what happens when we truly love one another. And then he follows it up. I don't know what's going on over here, but there's something. Some, something stirring up, some sneezing. So, but but look at what happens here in verse in verse 14. He says this: For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Let's let's focus on this for just a moment. Paul's saying. Out of the 613 commands that we find in the Old Testament, Paul's saying all of them are summed up in one. That means this is a huge statement to make. It's a huge statement to make. 613 all the way down to one. And he says this, love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it's all about. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I know some of you are are, are the way some of you think, and, and, and perhaps I think this way too. There's a question that just says, well, hey, who's my neighbor? Here's what's great. Jesus addresses that. So let's flip back. Go back to Luke chapter 10 and listen to what Jesus has to say in Luke 10. And it's a rather popular story, but I but I always enjoy going there because it's 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 just good to go there. And hear what Jesus hear see this interaction. We pick it up in verse 29 of Luke chapter 10. So this person is talking to Jesus about what he needs to do to get eternal life, and and uh, and he answers this question, and then then the guy, and notice what happens here, in verse twenty eight, he says, but he wanted to justify himself. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They had nothing good to say about the Samaritans. And so this man says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus gives him this story of the Samaritan. It tells us a lot about how much the Jews hated the Samaritans when Jesus says, in essence, who's the hero of the story, and this Jewish individual can't even say the Samaritan. He says, the one who showed mercy. What Jesus Christ is saying is this, is that who is your neighbor when it comes to love your neighbor as yourself? Your neighbor is anyone who crosses your path. Whether they're a friend, an enemy, you don't know them at all, that's your neighbor. Your neighborhood is the world. Your neighborhood is anyone who crosses your path. That's who your neighbors are. And it's, and it's fascinating how, how powerful loving people can be. It shows people that there's somebody not only that you care, but you're motivated to care for them because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. So anyone who crosses your path is to be loved. And you'll find this interesting, at least I did, back in Galatians chapter 5, verse 15. Notice what he says immediately after he says, love your neighbor as yourself. He says this, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Jesus just lays this very clearly and just says, you want to sum up all the commandments, do this one thing, love your neighbor as yourself. And then immediately he throws in, if you bite and devour one another, be careful. As I was working on the message this week, I said, why would Paul do this? And and, and obviously I don't know, I can't read Paul's mind. But what struck me was this, was how often, how often, we spend time being piranha to one another. A piranha, in and of itself, can do a little bit of damage. But what happens when a piranha joins with other piranha, it destroys things. It takes the life of whatever they're nibbling on. And we may very well think that our little comments, our little, our little critical comments that we make about this person doing this or that person doing that, we may think, well, it's just one little comment. The problem is, is when that comment is one of a thousand comments. And what ends up happening is that person, instead, that person, by the way, who is a Christ-following brother or sister, is no longer encouraged. They're no longer encouraged to keep going. They're no longer encouraged to keep walking. And so what people do, and, 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 it, and it drives me crazy as I've been doing ministry for, for all these years, one of the things that strikes me all the time is this, is that we're on the same team, and yet we seem to bicker at one another more than we do love each other. I think just about every single person in here Has been struck by somebody biting at them. And you wonder why Christianity doesn't move forward. It's because the world sees what's going on among ourselves and says, why would I want to get involved in that? Jesus lays out very clear guidelines when we have disagreements with one another. In Matthew 18, he talks about go and talk to that person privately. If you have issues with somebody, go and talk to them. It's the beauty of following after Jesus Christ. But so often what we do is we put that off to the side and say, you know what, it'll be more fun to gossip and rip into these people privately. The problem is, is that it devours the community of Christ. Christ. Paul says this, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. I don't know all the conversations that happen in in your life. I I don't know that and and, and that's a good thing. But I want to encourage you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, if you're spending time biting and devouring others, by the power of the Holy Spirit... I command you to stop because it's doing no good. It's an issue that's happened since, I mean, this is back in the first century. It's an issue that's been going on for a long time. My desire is for FBC Salinas to be a place where we encourage one another, we help each other. Those in leadership, we come alongside and say, hey, how can I help you? Those that are looking for opportunities to minister, we say, hey, how can I help you? that's what my desire is that we would love each other as ourselves it would be great for FBC Salinas to be that community of Christ followers where people say they take this seriously imagine what would happen if we did this imagine the lives that would be changed because instead of biting and devouring one another, we came alongside one another and encouraged one another and did what we could. And if we have di- disagreements, we would conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel and deal with that stuff. I hope I'm making sense here. And then Paul says this. We pick it up in verse 16. He says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. One of the items that I love about Paul is this, is that he always provides a solution. He's provided the issue, and now he provides a solution. And his solution here is by going step by step. He says this, that it's a reminder that following Jesus Christ is an active thing that we do. It's part of the way we live our lives. Not just part, it is how we live our lives. We walk with him. And he says this, and he inter- he's introduced the Holy Spirit just a few verses prior, but now for the next number of verses, we keep seeing the Holy Spirit pop up again and again and again and again. And so what I want to do over the course of the next few minutes is give us a Holy Spirit crash course. There's a whole lot of different information out there about the Holy Spirit what people think about him and and things like that. But I want to, and trust me, this could be a whole nother sermon series on the Holy Spirit, but but I just want us to take a few minutes and get an understanding of what we're talking about here. So I invite you in your Bibles to go to John chapter 14. And these are Jesus' words. These are Jesus' words about who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does and how he operates. And so we pick it up in verse 15 the first thing I want us to understand is this, is that the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not some mist that descends in a room and, and we see this mist and it, and it comes and, and it goes. But the Holy Spirit is a person. Notice every single pronoun that Jesus Christ uses about the Holy Spirit. Notice it, that, that he uses this word, him. Him. The Holy Spirit's a person. The Holy Spirit takes up residency within us. doesn't come and go. The Holy Spirit has personality. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a He. It's part of the triune God. And so then we continue reading, and not only do we see that the Holy Spirit is a person, we go down to verse 25, and it says this, All this I've spoken with... with, all this I have spoken while still with you but the advocate the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you so you're going to see a list of things that the holy spirit does and these and I apologize they're not in order but you'll get it as we go through this the thing that Jesus is driving at here in, in verse 26, is, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. What's going on here? The Holy, te- the Holy Spirit reminds us of Jesus Christ and what he's done. He reminds us of the things that Jesus Christ has done, what he's accomplished. The Holy Spirit also, also works in such a way to teach us. Notice what he says. He will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. The Holy Spirit is active. He's doing this work. And then we flip just a, maybe you don't even have to flip, but you can go to John chapter 16, and we pick it up in verse 6. Jesus goes back to talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, rather you're filled with grief... Because of these things, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So let's go through this list rather quickly. The other thing that the Holy Spirit does is he convicts us. He convicts us when we go astray. You know when you have that feeling of oops, I messed up and there's that feeling of ickiness within you. That's a Greek term, by the way. No, I'm just joking, but but he convicts us. You feel that unease. We're also told not only that the Holy Spirit convicts us, the Holy Spirit also renews us. The great thing about Jesus Christ and his genius and and the Godhead's genius is this, is that when we are convicted, there's this sense, perhaps, that we could begin to beat ourselves up. But what's great about the Holy Spirit is he comes in and says, yeah, you're broken, yeah, you, you messed up, but I'm here to renew you. God is about renewal all the time, and the Holy Spirit renews us. Then the other thing is this. He remains with us. He's not flaky. He doesn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed. He's with us always. We're not orphaned. And that's what Paul's referring to. He's referring to this Holy Spirit that we just described, that Jesus just describes for us. And, and, and yes, that's just a very introductory level of what the Holy Spirit does. But I want us to understand that we're not alone, that the Holy Spirit's constantly at work in us, that he takes up residency within us. And then back to Galatians, we pick it up here. It says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Question, do you feel the tension of following with Jesus? In this world, this world says, we don't want you to follow after Jesus, so we're going to present you all these different options, but yet we want to live for Jesus, and what ends up happening is that temptation, that tension is there all the time. I want you to know something. You're not alone in feeling that tension. You're not alone. You're not alone in that tension of, Lord, I want to follow you. I'm going to do whatever I can to follow you. I I desire to follow after and be in step with the Spirit. And as you take those steps, there's that ongoing tension. Because look what he says here. He says, he says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, the f- spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Remember, Paul's talking about freedom and he's saying, there's, yeah, you have great freedom to serve, you have great freedom to love, but yet there's gonna be this tension here because you're tempted to turn away all the time. Do you feel that tension? Just know this, you're not alone. And then here's a tougher question, I think. If you're not feeling tension... I ask you this question, why not? Is it possible that you've so identified with the way the world operates that following after Jesus is just simply something that you speak and don't live? There should be this tension within us. Not a tension where we sit there and and we're defeated, but a tension saying, Lord, I need your help. I need to be dependent on you all the time. And then in verse 18, he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. We are called to be followers. Following is non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable. We're led by the Spirit as he leads us and as he prompts us to to say a nice word here or or to, to get involved in a situation that's very difficult. God gives us the strength and he prompts us to get involved in that, to make things right with people. And then Paul knows how we, how humanity conducts itself, and he continues on in verse 19. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious, and he lists all these different things. The battle for the Galatians, and this is an ugly list that he puts together. The battle for the Galatians was not only the false teachers, but within themselves. There was this ongoing battle. Paul already knew that humanity struggles, and and he knows it struggles very well. So you have these false teachers, but then now he's getting very direct with them, and he's saying this, and in essence, he's exposing some truth to them, and it's truth to us as well. The truth is this, is that oftentimes, we are our own worst enemy. I cannot tell you, I've lost count how many times I've self-sabotaged Things are going really well, really well, really well, and all of a sudden, I just do something so boneheaded. I'm going, where did that come from? We can self-sabotage. And so Paul is getting very direct with these people, and, and what I want you to realize is this, is that this list that he comes up with uh, Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. In this list is broken down into four sections. But what I want to do is this, is I want us to understand as we read this going, man, that sounds really bad. But that stuff sounds ugly. That stuff is, is bad. It starts small and develops. There's a group of individuals in the Midwest group of moms. They were concerned about their weight. So this group of moms got together and they decided that they would go on a weight loss program together. Their method of losing weight freaked out all their families. This group of moms, there were about five to seven of them said, we need to lose some weight. And so they committed to one another. (laughs) They committed to one another that they were going to set a goal weight. And once they got to the goal weight, they they were going to just simply maintain that weight. Their method of weight loss was crystal meth. Group of moms, we're just going to do a little meth for a little while, we're going to lose our weight, and then we're going to be just fine. It starts off small, and it took their families. we read these lists and we, and we say, well, I would never go to witchcraft. I would never go to envy. I would never go to this. I would never go to that. But I want you to know this. It happens, it happens, it happens step by step. So this first list that he lists about sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, it's sexual sins. That's what he's talking about here. Over there are over twenty-eight thousand users who watch porn every single second. There's an increase in usage as these people who study pornography, they're noticing an increase in usage, get this, in upper class, wealthier areas. They continue to see an increase. Starts small and it gets bigger and bigger, and it consumes marriages, it consumes families. So that's what he's talking about here. Then we move to verse 29, idolatry and witchcraft. And, and we sit there and we see witchcraft going, what's going on here? Well, it's false teaching. It's, it's, it's all these different types of things. And here's one of the things that we don't talk about very much in this country. We are the leading exporter of cults in the entire world. There are over 5,000 cults in the United States, and we export that all over the world. We export it. Then he moves in, and he says, after he talks about idolatry and witchcraft, he then talks about hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. All of those, and you'll notice that's the biggest chunk. All of those relate to relational sins. It starts small. Somebody upsets us, and all of a sudden, we hold a grudge. Well, all of a sudden, that grudge becomes another grudge, which then continues to build and build and build, and we no longer want to have anything to do with that person because we won't forgive them. Relationship breakdowns are everywhere. And he's talking about it starts small, and it eventually gets to this. And then he says this, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, and I call these extreme sins. You could have heard a pin drop after I told you what this group of moms in the Midwest did to lose weight. That's extreme, but it starts small. So I ask you this question, where are you heading? What steps are you taking? Are they steps that are moving you in a, in, a destructive path, in, in a destructive path or are you moving in a direction that is about life? And we'll get to that in just a moment. It's about life and about the, about the Spirit moving freely in our lives. And I want you to know this, sin always, always, always has a communal impact. There is no such thing as a private, personal sin every sin has communal impact. A 73-year-old woman was in the hospital recovering from surgery. She was given the following outline. She was given the following instructions. Listen, you're on oxygen. Do not smoke. She had a craving. So what did she decide to do? She lit up. I should have used a different phrase there. Kaboom. Thankfully, it was only minor burns that she suffered, but the wall got blown out, all this kind of stuff. People had to be moved. Her desire to do what she wanted impacted other people and inconvenienced the hospital. Folks, your sin, my sin, it affects the way we interact with one another. And what Paul's driving at here is this, he's saying we have an opportunity to be free to live for God, and when we only look out for ourselves, we don't do that. But Paul, again, always, always, always comes through. we pick it up in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. He lists all these things. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He provides a list for life. Look at that list. Look at that list and tell me if there's anything on that list that this world is not in desperate need of at this time. And we as Christ followers, those who have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, we get to live out this life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We get to live that out. And what ends up happening is God's kingdom continues to expand. God's reign continues to expand. So instead of only looking out for ourselves, Paul says, be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit's doing and his work in your life verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucifixion always takes time. That tension I talked about earlier, that tension continues, but what ends up happening is as we live our lives, as we allow the Holy Spirit to move in our lives, as we, as we pay attention to his leading, what ends up happening is we understand more and more what it means to live for him and not ourselves. And then what he says here at the very end, verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. I love how Paul understands the human spirit. And he says, there's a temptation within you as you live for Jesus to say, look at me, look at all that I've done. But what he says is, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. The reason why we can't become conceited is because of this. Jesus Christ did the work and he does the work right now. He gets the credit. You don't, I don't, he does. But it's so tempting to say, look at me. So I ask you again, where are you heading? What path are you on right now? If you're on a path of self-absorption and destruction, there's time. For you to say, I need to take a step towards life, hope, love, peace, joy. And it's made possible by Jesus Christ. Listen to these words again from the book of Luke. Read these words in Luke 9. Verse 51 as the time approached for Jesus to be taken to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Where was Jesus heading? He was heading to the cross. Why was he heading to the cross? Because you and I needed somebody to head to the cross for us because we're tempted to only look out for ourselves. Jesus Christ, with every single step that he took, it was a step closer to the cross, it was a step closer to the crucifixion, it was a step closer to being being forsaken by God, and yet he stepped, because he steps with us as we go through life. It's my prayer, it's my hope, that we would step With him and experience this life that he wants to give us. If today you're heading down a path of destruction, I ask you to grab hold of the hand of the one who takes you on a path of life. His name's Jesus Christ. The one who resolutely went where nobody was willing to go for you because he loves you that much. Father, we pray now as we think through these words, as we think through this passage. We would ask that your Holy Spirit would continue to do your work among us. We pray for those in this room right now who are on a path of destruction. We would ask that your Holy Spirit would intercept them and would move them in a way that draws them to you. We pray, Lord, for those who are walking with you. We would pray that you would continue to guide and direct and that we would be receptive to you and that great things would happen for you. And Lord Jesus, may we not become conceited, thinking that it's all about us. And may we not devour one another, but may we be a body, a body of Christ followers, who says we're there for one another, and we're going to walk with one another through life. Because you, Lord Jesus, are leading us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the children are gonna come in in a few minutes because.